Welcome everybody to the first episode of a conversation with here on the Keyboard Kimura platform. I'm me, Spencer Kite. This one's been in the works for a little bit. We've tried to do it a couple of times. We've had some allergic reactions. We've had some <laughs> scheduling conflicts. But Laura Sanko is finally in the other side, on the other side of the screen. Finally. <laughs> Thank you for doing patient. this. Thank You've you for doing this. I'm happy we're finally doing it. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm a little I'm a little worn out today. I just spent all day at the zoo with um, a bunch of third grade boys. So that's a lot. But no, I'm excited to be here. And I like I said, I appreciate your patience in getting this scheduled. Always, always. I will always work around people that I want to sit down and have these conversations with. You and I have sat down and had some conversations in the past. It is part of why I wanted to get you on this program to sort of continue having our conversation that we've now been having for four or five years, it feels like, throughout yeah. the Contender series and and your evolution and growth as a broadcaster, but also to continue expanding sort of your reach and people hearing your story and learning about you and your efforts to get to where you are. And then maybe we'll talk a little bit about the ambitions going forward, which I know all is right. a subject you don't like talking about all that much. <laughs> don't like putting those things out in the streets because maybe they don't come true and then people kind of hold it against you. I understand that completely, <laughs> but we'll get there. But we start always with just when and how did you fall in love with combat sports? Oh man, combat sports in general. I'd have to say uh, it was after I saw the Karate Kid when I was really young and uh, there was something, I don't know, there was something about that story or something about that movie, probably the age at which I saw it was a big factor as well. That just made me fall in love with the idea. And my dad was traveling quite a bit to Asia at the time. And he brought back this little gi. And I remember putting on the, this little tiny gi and like jumping on my bed and doing crane kicks and stuff. And so that was kind of when I fell in love with the idea of martial arts, but I didn't start practicing until I was maybe 13 or 14, probably 13. Um, and yeah, I think I just, I enjoyed the discipline and I'm always, I'm a big, like, um, I, I want to know that there are goals that I can achieve. And so the belt system, you know, really sang to my little, my little yeah, perfectionist you're, 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 you're a striver. I understand. I am, yeah, as, I yeah. am as well. But, yeah. We so are. even at that age, it was nice to know, like, okay, if I put in the work right. three months from now, I'm going to get another stripe or, or whatever the case was. So um, I, I really enjoyed that, but I did, I didn't do it very competitively. Like I wasn't one of those kids traveling around doing a bunch of tournaments. I did a few, but you know, not very many. It was more just um, the day-to-day, -day, like get in, get the work done. Strip mall, karate studio, <laughs> reached much. black belt, correct? Yes, yeah. High, yeah. high school black belt, like yeah. a lot of people. When did MMA itself, or even I, I think it was probably jujitsu initially, yeah. become a piece of it that, okay, now this is, this is the next extension. This is the next outlet for me. Yeah, so during, when I was in college, um, I started, you know, you're up late as you are, and none of my roommates were into it, but uh, I, I stumbled on, I wish I could remember the name of the show because I get asked this a lot. I need to look it up. But Jay Glazier used to have this show on that was kind of on late at night and it was Pride Reruns. And I just started watching that show religiously and I fell in love with, uh, it was probably like 2003. So that's kind of when I fell in love with MMA was through watching Pride and Shogun Hua and all those amazing, um, amazing legendary fighters and fights that took place there. And then after I graduated from college, I went through kind of a 
just a tough time in my personal life. And I knew I needed some sort of outlet, some sort of physical outlet. And I had really, I had never really exercised regularly in my life. I was not an athlete in high school. And I went to a school where even though I did play a few sports, I went to such a small school that like, you really didn't have to be that good to make a team. So true athleticism and the discipline of being an athlete had never been a part of my life, but I knew I wanted it to be. So I went to this gym, just like a normal weightlifting gym down in kind of a a nice part of Kansas city um, where I was living at the time. And I started just lifting weights because I'd never done that before. And as I started lifting weights, I kept seeing these guys like in this corner area of the gym doing jujitsu. And I could tell that they were MMA fighters. And I was like, Oh, that's really cool. I, I wonder if, you know, I wonder if they would ever teach me. And I remember asking one of them one day, like, Hey, do you know, do you teach classes or any way I can, you know, I do karate. Can I join? Right. <laughs> and, uh, the answer was like, no, you know, no, this is no, yeah. <laughs> but I just kind of kept bugging him, um, you know, banging the drum slowly and consistently. I'd be over like conveniently kind of close to where they were, like doing my little lady curls, just watching my little corner of my eye. Right. <laughs> Check, and, yeah. Checking in on the no girls allowed club. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I don't really know what changed their mind, but I think they saw that I was like genuinely really, really interested. It wasn't just some sort of fleeting thing where like, oh, this looks neat. I I really wanted to do it. And so they finally let me join. So my first two years, yeah, two, year and a half of MMA was basically three hour private lessons with the only UFC fighter that was from Kansas City at the time. I didn't know he was a UFC fighter. I just knew that they were doing MMA. His name was uh, Rob Kimmins. And at the time, he was really the only truly high-level um, MMA fighter that we had. Kraus and those guys were, like, right behind him, but right. we weren't in the UFC yet. And, and they were still several years away from getting there. So it's pretty cool that I was able to stumble on someone that good and that he kind of brought me into the fold. Yeah, so how does training – and this is back when what is now Glory or what was now Glory yeah. was Grindhouse. How does training turn into – Hey, you should take some fights. Yeah. Because like training to stay in shape and I want to do this and be athletic is one thing. I'm going to go and let somebody punch me in the face and do that to someone else is is another step. And it is a, for people that don't understand, like it's a step. It's not a thing everybody chooses to do. Yeah. And I mean, it's a lot of, it's it's definitely something too that a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I'll take a fight. And then as the fight gets closer, they change their mind. Right. Or they have the fight and it's like, there's, you can tell that they have no business being there. there. There's a lot of one and done's in this sport. Yeah. I've always kind of had a, um, I don't know if it's because my older brother and I were constantly roughhousing, but I've always had a a scrappiness about me way more. I mean, my, my skill set was always way more reliant on scrappiness and heart than it was on like really, really fantastic technique. The technique came way, way after fighting actually. Um, so, you know, once I was training at Grindhouse, everyone was a fighter there and I was the only girl. And, you know, it was kind of like almost like a, I'm going to keep up with these guys. You know, they were kind of like giving me shit like, oh, you're not going to take a fight, you know. <laughs> but then when I was, I was like, yeah, I will. And they're like, OK, well, then you should. You know what I mean? And then then they kind of got behind the idea. But it was definitely a different dynamic back then to be the only girl in a gym and women's MMA, it was a thing, but it wasn't a business. Right. 
it was a thing in the sense that it was kind of a sideshow, honestly, to yep. a lot of the local cards. It was like, yeah, let's have throw a couple chicks on there just for, you know, oh, that's weird. <laughs> right. Just to put them in the cage and people yeah. can look at them and, yeah. and have this different thing. So I think more and more people are learning and, and know now that you do have a competition history, mm. that you were, in fact, a fighter. But you fought amateur a bunch and then made your professional debut January 5th, 2013, Invicta FC4. Yep. I want to just run down the list. So, like, this is the company that Laura is fighting alongside of. <laughs> so here we go. Carla Esparza, Beck Rawlings, Alexis Davis, Shayna Baszler, Leslie Smith, Raquel Pennington, Amanda Nunez, Joanne Calderwood, Jody Escabel, Rose Nami Yunus, Emily Kagan, Tisha Torres, Paige Van Zant, and in the opening fight of the evening, Laura Laura, Laura Marcus Sanko <laughs> yeah, chokes out chokes out Cassie Robb a minute and yeah. change into the second round and just breaks out into tears as soon like emotions just yeah. pour out. What was that moment like? Do you remember it? Can yeah, you can you dial yeah. it back up? Absolutely. Um you know, it was it was it was such a weird and wonderful thing for me because you know, not being an athlete it was something I don't think I ever really imagined myself doing, but then of course you fall in love with this thing and I get, I get obsessive about the things that I get involved with that really speak to my passion. So I was obsessed with MMA and there really wasn't a place for women to have a consistent platform. There were female fights, of course, but it was like up until I fought for Invicta, which is part of the reason why I went pro when I did, because I was six and one as an amateur at the time. Um, which at that time was actually quite a, a lot of amateur, a few amateur fights. fights. Yeah. But they were pretty far spaced out because it was really hard to find fights. I was an atom weight and in the Midwest, you know, it probably would have been easier if I lived in California or Florida. Um, but I was constantly on message boards. Like I was on Facebook trying to, you know, message girls and be like, Hey, you, you look small. You want to fight? Right. You know? Trying to hunt down your own fight. Yeah. So when Invicta came along, I was like, I have to go there because they're going to find my fights. And this won't be a thing anymore. And I could really dedicate myself to it. So to, to make my debut there and then to get that win and um, do it at home in front of, and I sold a lot of tickets, a lot of I, tickets for that fight. I watched the fight back before we jumped on yeah. and the pop that you got when your music hit and people knew it was you coming out. Do you remember what you walked out to? Do you um, remember the song? I do, but I can't remember the name of it. It's called We Do This we, by Crafty right. Cuts. Yeah, Crafty yeah. Cuts. That's right. That is getting added to a playlist very, very soon after we close here. It's a good track. It's a good track. Yeah. So you get the win. You're a professional fighter. You're one to know. You're ready to go. You're, you're starting yeah. to look for the next fight. You're trying to stay in shape. Get ready for the next fight. Yeah. And then you're pregnant. Then I get pregnant. Then you get pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And you so, pivot and you pivoted pretty quickly. Like you made yeah. the decision. You and I have talked about this. You've spoken about this in the past. You made the pivot pretty quick to, all right, well, I'm not gonna be pregnant, have my child, raise my child, and still pursue this thing where the opportunities are limited, the resources mm -hmm. are limited. Yeah. So what can be the next step? How yeah. hard was it though to make that decision? It, it was, I knew I was always going to be involved in the sport, but, and I've never really said it like this. Um, but the truth is I, I needed MMA for me. I didn't need MMA financially. And if, 
Invicta, which I still love this organization, but if Invicta was going to be the top of the mountain, the apex of my career, it just wasn't enough for me to, you know, MMA is a grind. If you want to be good at it, and I'm, I'm not, I don't do anything half-assed. If I'm in, I'm in. If I'm out, this I'm is, not. This I, is the striver thing. We're going to, yeah. Going to be the so, thread throughout this. So I just couldn't, you know, my husband has a great job. I had a career in finance that I was still doing as I was doing MMA. Um, so it just didn't make sense for me to to dedicate, you know, six hours a day potentially to a career where like when things go really well, I can make three <laughs> and three. You know? It's just not right. It just didn't make any sense. And being a mom is a full time job. You know, I had a new full time job is 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 what it comes down to. So um, but I did. I knew I was going to continue to train and I knew that I wanted to stay very close to the sport, but I didn't know yet that it would be in in television um until shannon called me and suggested it but it's funny because even before then the producer for invicta before i fought for invicta and i'm talking about years before i fought for invicta when i was still an amateur the producer his name's Corey smith would come into grindhouse to do little features on whether it be kraus or eric marriott or some of the other higher level fighters that we had at the time that were fighting in bellator or wbc and he would shoot their features. And I remember him being like, you know, you'd be good on television. I remember, I distinctly remember him saying this. And the funniest thing is like, at the time I was like, is this guy hitting on me? Right. Is this, this is right. Is this his line? Like, I was like, really? Is this his way of, of saying he you thinks mean, I'm yeah, pretty? You know, like yeah. there used to be a thing where like attractive teenage girls would go to the mall and like some guy would be like, you should be a model. Let me give you my card. Right. It felt like that. Right. I hope he's no, I mean, me. listen, it, it, it probably like that. So I was always like, oh, that's nice of you. But in my mind, I'm like, no, <laughs> no, but he did. And, and, and he would, you know, bring it up fairly consistently, but there wasn't really any reason for me or any avenue for me to do that until Shannon came and said, Hey, obviously you're pregnant. You're gonna be on the shelf for a while. Would you like to try this out? And then off to the races. Yeah. So like, let's, let's get through the off to the races. Cause you've yeah. said, and, and I know, as we've talked about here already, you are a striver. You are a, when I'm in, I am all the way in. Does it become the next drug? Does it become the next yeah. bug right after that Marlus Kunin interview? Or does it take a few where it starts to feel comfortable, where it starts to feel like, okay, I could do this because I know over these last bunch of years, it's the drug. Like I'm, I And yeah. I fully understand, clearly, yeah. as a guy that's sitting here hosting a YouTube show, interviewing people and speaking and writing and doing yeah. this stuff all the time. When did it get to that next, okay, this is a thing I like and I want to be really goddamn good at? Pretty much immediately. But the funny thing, because, you know, you said, when did you know that you were good enough to do it? But this is one of the keys to like, I can tell you sto- so many stories about my life in college, before college. There are so many times in my life, and I, this has been a running theme where I have been perpetually underqualified to do a lot of the things I've done <laughs> and like grossly underqualified. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to have to have you back on the program to go through all of this because there's like but, loads of notes in front of me that yeah. include some of these things because I want to know about Netflix for jewelry at some point. Yes. Yeah. And like, and, yeah, there's a post I made on my Instagram where I listed quite a few of them a few years ago. It was like what New Year's Day post or something like that. Or I, I don't remember what it was, but it was like one of those big, I'm going to write five paragraph right. paragraphs post. 
but yeah, I, I think I've always been, I want maybe a little bit delusional about my, <laughs> or maybe not delusional about my ability to pour myself into whatever it is and just make it happen. And especially when it's sort of like, for whatever reason, it was a lot of times it was like a girl's never done this before or someone as young as you has never done this right. before. Or um, there was always a little bit of, you know, like the world probably won't believe that you can do this. Right. And that's where I or, just, I or just there's a specific tired. lane that is supposed yeah. to be for you where you go, yeah. right. But that lane, I get it. Sure. And we'll start there, but I'd really like to be in that lane over there. Exactly. That's the lane I want to get into. Yeah. So when, when did that part click? When did the, I don't want to just right away. You were like, I don't yes. want to just be doing interviews. I don't just want to be doing backstage. All of that is great. I will do it. It will get my full attention, all my professionalism, but I want to be an analyst. I think the analyst, um, yeah, that probably wasn't as immediate as the, cause, cause I didn't even really understand what the lanes were at that point. Um, the desire to be an analyst probably came as soon as I stepped foot in the UFC. So 2015 or 16, whatever, right. 15, I think. Um, yeah, but, but right away, as soon as I really understood the different roles in television and what each role means and what you are and are not allowed to do in those roles. Um, honestly, I think the, the very first backstage interview I did for Fox, I formed the worst question ever because I just I couldn't form a question like I just started analyzing the fight and I was like yeah and then you know and then you hit the switch and then you know you were looking to take the back but the angle wasn't there and then you switched your grip and to try to get the and that was the longest most complicated question ever and I remember the producer going um I we just we don't want you to analyze the fight we just just ask a question like right. how did you find the Renneke choke Right. Let, him, like, I let know that person walk through it, not <laughs> you explain it with him. Right. Yes. So I think pretty, pretty quickly, I was like, I want to do more than, and listen, when I say more, it's not to denigrate the reporter role. Cause that honestly is harder than what I do now in, in many ways, but I want it in terms of like really, really having that depth of knowledge of the sport um, to the point where you can have an opinion or be predictive about things that are going to happen that I knew right away. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as you said, not to denigrate that role, it is difficult, but it's just, everybody's different. Like yeah. there doesn't have to be, and, and you recognized pretty early on that I don't have to be capped out by being female means I have to do this and I can only do this. Mm -hmm. Cause I remember the first time we spoke, it was probably very early on in, in season two, of contender series. Cause I wrote a piece talking about like, in addition to finding all of this talent for the roster, I remember, look it. at all this talent that is coming out in terms of five things in a white series got right. That was the name broadcast people like yourself, Brendan, Dan Helly, yeah. a bunch of different people that are analysts now passed through there and got their early reps. Bisping Felder, mm -hmm. Eve Edwards, who does stuff in other, in other areas yeah. like, and you said in that time, because we were talking about the the fan, Aussie and fancy breakdowns mm -hmm. and all of those things. And you told me then, like, look, this is what I'm doing is great. That's where I want to be. Yeah. What was it like the day you walked in and saw that little piece of tape? Oh, my gosh. Over the over the headset that said Sanko <sighs> in season five. And, and they said, by the way, this is your chair now. 
I could cry about it now. It's been a year, you know, it's been a couple of years now. I, it's so weird to, to, to articulate it like this, but I simultaneously knew for a fact in my heart that I could do it at the exact same time as having all the doubt in the world that it would ever happen. You know what I mean? I, there was no clear path at all when I, articulated this to the universe and right. I started to articulate it in, in interviews and it would come up and people would ask me about it more and more and more and it rubbed some people the wrong way and you know it it was sort of like it it had never been done before it's just the truth like yep. you know the women that had the the reporter role quite frankly are better broadcasters than I am um Heidi Andrell and Megan O'Levy like they they have skill sets uh, that were different and much more polished than mine in a lot of ways, but there had never been a female reporter that had an actual background in fighting. And so the fact that it had never been done to have a woman or really anybody other, I guess John Gooden skipped the lane to go do play by play. But even then that's a different, that's a different lane than being an analyst and a color right. commentator. Um, so there was zero path. There was zero like, here are the steps you take to make that happen. Um, so that part was really scary, but I just had this, like, I, I just had this deep seated. I just knew, I knew that somehow, some way I would figure out a way to make it happen, to make myself like undeniable to that opportunity. Yeah. That, that was the word you used when we talked in season five. Is it really? Because it, yeah, it was, I want to get to calling a show. Uh -huh. Like I want to be on a fight night and we talked about the process and you said, I just have to make myself undeniable. <laughs> so we got season five of contender series. We got into season six, we got road to UFC. Then they give you the call this year. I think you probably got it late last year. I think I got a text that yeah. said, Hey, it's co it's yeah. coming early next year. You and I was what, like, you were a very inner circle person. I very, had to tell you that because you were there from the beginning. Of very excited about that. And had a little freak out here in my, in my home <laughs> studio of like, finally, she's getting her shot. But what was it like for you? Obviously, like I'm freaking out about it. Yeah. You have to just be like, we did it. We're here. We're, we're getting to that next step. It was it was unreal. Like, and I, because I was so busy that week, um, they had a documentary crew following me. I was, I was a little nervous. I mean, I'd done it many times before at this point, but I was still, and even with Michael and I've called fights with, uh, I don't remember who I called my first, I guess it would have been John. It was John. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it was, I, I had worked with these people before I've worked at the apex. There's really nothing to be nervous about. It's the right. exact same thing, but I was nervous just because of what it was. And there were a lot of, you know, interviews and articles being written, all this type of stuff. So it was a lot going on, a lot to keep me distracted. I wanted to do well. It really didn't hit me until I was um, flying home the next day because I was responding to so many texts and people were calling me. And and then it wasn't until I was on the plane and, and didn't have Wi-Fi <laughs> that it just like, I just started, so I just started it sobbing, honestly. Sinks in, yeah. Yeah, it, it and it was equal parts joy and like relief, which is a weird emotion. But to be honest with you, it felt a lot like a win in fighting because there's always this like incredible elation of, I can't believe what I just pulled off. But there's also the like the relief of like, I was so worried I was not going to be able to do this. And I did it. And just that, that feeling of letting go of this worry that I'd had for 
many years at that point just kind of all hit me at once. And I'm sure the person next to me was like, what is up with this chick? <laughs> She's losing it. <laughs> How important was it to, cause you were back on the call a couple of weeks later. How important yeah. was it to get right back into the saddle and not have, okay, she got the one. It was the road to FC finals, essentially. Yeah. It so was she knows the all night. the people <laughs> in the middle of the night. It's her and good. And it makes sense. They had done yeah. the show, but to get right back into it and it not be this like four or five month process of when do I get to make my second appearance? Yeah, that was really nice. Actually, it was not supposed to be that way. What happened was um, there was a scheduling change with another broadcaster. Um, and so I just got the call not long before saying, Hey, can we switch you and put you on this one? So that's kind of why I haven't done it in a while. Cause I was supposed to have, I don't even remember what the date was going to be now, but something in April, but they switched me to that one in February. That was only two weeks after the first right. one. Um, and I'm glad it happened that way because like you said, I think maybe there were, you know, some people that thought, Oh, like they gave her one. The given her the token one. Yeah. But really she's not in the, she's we not. We won't see her again until contender series. Yeah. And I, I, I was, it was nice to be like, no, no, I'm, I've, and I'm still sort of articulating that. Like I'm not a reporter anymore. That's not my role anymore. I just, I I do the desk and I do commentary and um, I still do quick hits, but that's kind of its own little thing yeah. and an analyst on the way in Shetland. That's it. So yeah. as, as a striver, as somebody <laughs> that wants to be a perfectionist, I imagine that your process for prepping for this role is insane. So walk me through it. Doesn't have to be the full detail, but yeah. like explain to people because I think there are there are people that do a ton of work. There yeah. are people that do not a lot. Some of your colleagues have badgered others about the amount of homework they do yeah. or don't do. You strike me as somebody that is doing a load of homework. So what's the process for you, whether it's a fight night show or yeah. contender series? You know, the biggest thing is I knew you know, I knew why they didn't slide me into that role without lots and lots of like proving on my part, because the fact is I don't, you know, I didn't fight in the UFC. I don't have a belt like Bisping um, or DC does. So it's really, when you think about it, it's preposterous <laughs> to say, Hey, here's this woman you've probably never seen before. You don't, you may or may not know whether she's fought before. I mean, I don't is... want to cut you off, but I'm going to pull the Elliot Marshall card here from when All you right. did his show <laughs> and do the like, it's just not though. Like how many times? So what I would say is that gender plays the greatest role in it. Because yeah. how many times in every other sport, in every other profession where we have analysts and broadcasters, do we see somebody that didn't accomplish a great deal, hang them up, walk yeah. into the booth. And all of a sudden they're just, here you go. Yeah. You get the opportunity just because you were here. Now I would agree that the UFC element of it. And I think with Elliot, when you were on his show a couple of years ago, the word that came up was credentialism. Yeah. And I think that's certainly correct, but I don't think it's, I understand your position of, Hey, I get it uh, as the person that's trying to kick in that door. You deserved to be oh, there thank you. and there thank shouldn't you. have been you. as many, you shouldn't have had to go through as many hurdles and no one for that matter should have to go through as many hurdles as it takes when there are a lot of people that the door just opens. For. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, um, but to your point, you know, I, I guess I, I owned it internally and I felt like, yeah. okay, I cannot, I don't have 
any levity. I don't have, not levity, but I don't have any leash to like right. not get something quite right or not quite be prepared to talk about X, Y, or Z. Um, because I don't have the just sort of inherent credibility that comes with being Daniel Cormier or, or right. being Michael Bisping. So I knew that I had to be, I just had to double down, triple down on my preparation and my study. And so I did so many things like I got a voice coach and I would research what I believe to be some of the best film studiers and how they study film and the types of things they look for. Because obviously I've been watching fights for years. I've watched, I've watched tens of thousands of fights, but watching them as an analyst is, is such a different thing. So I would study other people's methods in terms of how they would watch fights. Um, and then when I would get an assignment, I'd probably spend between two and three hours on each fighter. So if it's a 15 fight card, that's 30 fighters. So that's 60 to 90 hours about a lot, which yeah, is why it's, it's tough for me when I get those last minute assignments. Cause right. obviously that's just not, even not as prepared as you want to be. And it's, and especially with contender series. And this is the part that's, that's wild, right? Is that go try to find anybody that wants to, wants to do this or wants to say, ah, it's easy. I could do it. Yeah. Go try to find go to try to find three of these fights for any of the people that were yeah. on contender series last year or road to UFC. Yeah. Go hunt them down because it's not as easy as just typing their name into Fight Pass I, or Google. There's, there's all these little things I've done, and I don't necessarily talk about them all the time because I almost feel like they're secret weapons. But like, like I said, things like the voice coach, things like uh studying how to study. I would, right. and I hired someone who who was in Asia to find film on Asian fighters. Nice. I just paid them to find film on these guys and send me a whole bunch of links so that I could go through it um, because I knew that they would have access to stuff that I didn't. And then I would just put my VPN on and like I got very familiar with um, Yuku, which is China's uh, YouTube. There you go. Just stuff like that. Like I, I, I. If there was an extra mile to go, I was going to take it because that would help me feel, um, I don't know, just feel prepared and feel more comfortable when it came airtime. Right. So with that kind of dedication and that kind of focus, we got to look to the future a little bit. When we spoke last year for the story that went up on on OSDB Sports that talked about Laura Sanko has made herself undeniable, you and I sort of danced around the, and then after calling a fight night show, yeah. There's this other thing that we're just not going to, we're not going to put out into it. the ether yet. We're not going to say it because I do, we have a relationship. I do understand very much the, I don't want to say it because then it becomes real and then people can weaponize it against me for lack of a better word. Yeah. I think people, people also get the impression that I think I deserve that right now. If I right. say it's something that I want, right. which is not the case. Of course, it's something I want. Do, do I'll just say it. Of course, I want to call a paper. There we go. That's what we were looking for. That's the what we were looking is, for. I, I am well aware that that's not something that happens immediately for anybody. And, you know, the the, the guys who call the pay-per-views in particular, Joe and DC and Bis, like there's staples in that in that level. And even those guys have had to earn their stripes to get to that spot. Yeah. So I have no expectation that's going to happen anytime soon. But of course, I'd like to do that one day once I've once I've earned it and once um 
yeah, once ever. If, if we got to do a couple more years of hoping that Paul Felder gets laryngitis and just turns <laughs> up one day, I believe that was the original idea yeah. for how you slide in is Paul turns up one day and has a stomach bug and yeah. just can't work. So I'm here, ready to go. Food. Yeah, there you, you go. Yourself, Paul. <laughs> I know you've got to go. I appreciate the time already. We will certainly have you back because there's a load of stuff that we didn't get to get to that I certainly want to talk about, including posting training videos, posting thirst traps, all kinds <laughs> of different stuff. We can stuff. talk about that now if you want to all know, right. bring it up. We got all right. Sorry, all I, got right. another, I got another so, uh, 15 minutes. We'll see okay. So you post a ton of training videos and you and I have yeah. talked about it privately in the past. And I think it is a fantastic thing for you to do. I think it is a fantastic thing for anybody that wants to do your job, mm -hmm. for anybody that wants to show that they know what they're talking about. When did you make that decision? How did you make that decision of, oh, you don't think I know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You need to see practical application that I know these things and it's not somebody in my ear telling me the step-by-step -step I can go out and do it and beat the hell out of my training partner every, every <laughs> video. Well, well, to be clear, I, I mostly just post the stuff where it looks like I'm doing really well. Well, yeah, for sure. Of course. <laughs> like that's what in, that's what Instagram is. That's what Instagram's all about. I know I made that conscious decision. Um there was a specific there was a specific uh conversation I had um in twenty eighteen in twenty out twenty eighteen where um I was basically told, like, listen, we're never gonna do this. Like this is just not this is not something that's going to happen for you. We just would never put you in that position. Um, it wasn't like out of any sort of malice or whatever. Right. It's just someone it's being just, very. This isn't going to, this like, isn't going to work. Like, this this is isn't just, where this we go. Just, yeah. Like this is like, don't get your hopes up. Like this just is not something that we would do. And of course I went back to my hotel room and I cried about it. Um, <laughs> and then I was just, I kind of, my mind was like, you know what? Am I allowed to cuss on this? Of course. Okay. I was like, fuck that. You know, I, I'm just going to make it, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm just going to make myself undeniable. So um, part of that was at that point, I was like, okay, it's clear that people, whether they're in the UFC or outside the UFC, they've never seen me in that light right? because why would they, you know? So I did, I started to make a more conscious effort to post more videos of me training. And then obviously recently I've started posting more videos of me teaching um, or I guess demoing stuff. Right. Uh, so it just allows people to be exposed to me in that context because I get it. Like you see me on television and I look like I should be a reporter and I can't tell you, I still get lots of fewer and fewer now, but I used to get a lot of like, who's this chick? She's from ESPN. She has no idea what she's talking about. I'm like, first of all, I don't work for ESPN. Right. I didn't at the time. And second of all, like, it was always like, who's this Johnny come lately? Some right. random ESPN chick that doesn't know. Who's this blonde broad yeah. that turned up and thinks she knows this exactly. sport? Exactly. Exactly. So I just, I was trying to combat that idea um, right. of, of me. Cause just, they had never, people had never seen me do things. Right. Did you ever come to a satisfactory conclusion of the opposite of a thirst trap? Did we ever solve no, this riddle? No. What to name it? Yeah. No, I know. No, I don't okay. think I really ever settled on. I had quite a, quite a few good submissions, um, but uh, something about 
No, I know. All I right. never come up with a good. If you have Fair. any suggestions, do. I me. I will continue to think about it. I've been yeah. thinking about it since I saw you having that conversation, and was like, this is the per like from the relationship I have with you, from knowing you the way I do. I was like, this is the one hundred percent Laura Sanko conversation to this. Yeah, because I do want to figure this out. Because yes, there are video, there are pictures of me in this made up state yeah. or on the beach or whatever. But I'm also on the farm covered in muck and shit and stink. And it's not a thirst trap. It is whatever the opposite is. So what is the opposite? So we will continue to work on that. And the funny thing about the quote unquote thirst traps, um, and I've always wanted to talk about this because. Let's do it. Listen, other, other, and I don't, I'm not suggesting that other need, other people need to have my same rule set, but I have a very specific rule set for what I consider to be something that I'm fine with putting up on Instagram, even though I'm obviously well aware that it's a little bit more plays to my look or whatever, more than normal. Um, so I will never post a picture of myself in a swimsuit that I'm not actually wearing at an actual beach or an actual <laughs> pool in real life. Right. So like if you were at that beach, that is what you would see. I right. may very well be that that beach with my family or my son or my, right. like, it's not some private thing or whether it's me jogging down the road in a sports bra. Like that is actually how. Yeah. I if you were walking road. down the street or driving down the road, you saw it anyways. That's what, exactly. That's what you're going to see. And if I, and, and I never, I will never pose like in a super suggestive way in a swimsuit. Cause that's not how I actually sit at the beach. Right. Right. So, right. And even my like workout stuff, that's what I actually work out in. So right. I, I guess that, that was, that was kind of my line was like, okay, I, I feel okay posting this because if you were at the pool, that is. Yeah. This is just what life looked like that day. I happened exactly. to take a picture and put it on Instagram. Exactly. So that's, that's kind of my line where I feel comfortable with it. I totally understand why some people's line is way over here or way over sure. here, but, you know. Well, and additionally, it's another one of those things that you got to play the game. Well, you just do. Oh, on Instagram, that, on, on that absolutely. Media. But like, there aren't people going up to dudes and being like, "Why are you posting those thirst traps?" And please don't do. No. And getting the response. Like, if anybody wants to go and look at any response to some of Laura's pictures, oh and then and she used to, and I still love it, and we <laughs> used to talk about it every once in a while. You used to put people on blast. You used to just be like. Oh, hey, here's this cool, gross thing that you thought you would ask yeah. me. And now I'm going to respond and put it out there for everybody. Yeah. I, I both miss it and appreciate that I don't read them, <laughs> see them every so often anymore because it was some weird ass requests. But it's not stuff that you see like nobody posts them thangs thangin' on some <laughs> dude. No. Right? Like no. there's never that moment. And so it's like, she, you're just trying, you're, you are authentically living your life. That's, you know what, that, that really is what it is because I, I am. And the truth is, if you look at my Instagram page, you know, it's a lot of work, um, pictures of me doing stuff on ESPN or UFC or whatever. Um, it's, a, it's me on the farm. Um, it's sometimes me dressed up looking pretty or on a beach or whatever, but the ratio is pretty accurate to my real life. Like number of times I'm, right. you know, I look nice versus times I do. That's well, yeah. That's you're, nice. you're I, probably have, I probably wear makeup on Instagram way more than I do in real life. If that's 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 actually a good point. But I try to be authentic to like 
I don't want people to only, I think I said this to Dana one time, actually, when I was articulating to him, like why it was important for me to change lanes from being a reporter. Um, and part of it, I think does have to do with like getting to the age I'm at now where I'm well aware that like what I look like is going to be less and less of a thing that is cool to people as I go into my 40, the further into my forties, et cetera. And I'm fine with that. That is, that's, that's life, you know? Um, but it's a bullshit state. It's a bullshit stigma. And yeah, thing that, well, you know what I mean? Like, true. I mean, but, but it's, it's true. It's sort of yes. reality. It's yes, sort of yes. reality though. Of course. Um, but I guess my point is like, I, at that same time, there's sort of a, if you handle it right, there's sort of a really cool transition from like, you, you can go from, Hey, look how cute I am to, Hey, look how smart I am. You know? And I, I want that to be more and more of the conversation, which is why it was so important to me to reflect that other places as well. Like the YouTube channel I have, you know, I don't ever look cute on that ever. I'm just talking about fights and I'm demoing stuff. It has nothing to do with what I look like. So right. it was really important to me that uh, I, I told Dana, I said, I want to be, I want to be this, the smart girl, not the pretty girl. If I can be both for a while, that's cool. <laughs> well, and that's what I was just going to say is like, it, it shows two various people and there are certainly going to be people that, that don't look at it this way, but just see your physical attractiveness and go that that's all she is to me, but it shows anybody that wants to look at it, that you like every last one of us contain multitudes and your yeah. Instagram page reflects that. Like, yeah. Yeah. I can look like this in a bikini, but I can also get sweaty and messy in yeah. a gym and I can, you know, have horses and, cows and yeah. clean mud yeah. off Burke's boots. Yes. Yeah. 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 I will let you go on this. You have shown me before when we sat doing an interview, you kind of panned around a little bit to just a glimpse of what I have always held in my head as the Sanko estate, the Sanko, <laughs> the Sanko reservation out there. Yeah. What are we talking about? Like, give me acreage, give me livestock what do we oh, got out there yeah it's really cool we we what's really cool is like if you could see further out this i was window, gonna say i can see i can yeah, see white fences which i assume is a paddock a of some course. kind there's actually a golf course back there like we that's the thing is we don't really live in the country okay there's like a golf course and a country club and part of like a really nice neighborhood we don't belong to the neighborhood but it's like right next to us and then out the other side of the house is 150 acres and 35 head of cattle and I mean, there's definitely parts of our farm that are not glamorous at all. Like they're pretty, we have a barn from 1850 that's just on its last legs. And like, you know, it's not, it's not this like perfect looking, uh, beautiful estate, but the land itself is absolutely stunning. And I love it because there's cliffs and creeks and we're, uh, in the process of building a house out there. So then we'll have, a, then I'll have an estate that I can show then, you. Then you'll have. Yeah. Then you'll have the Sanko estate that I yeah. have concocted in my head. Well, listen, yeah. I appreciate that we were able to get to do this. No, we I certainly you have you always. back. I appreciate you. And I, I thank you for always being interested in a part of and supportive of my, uh, my journey. And like, you were one of the first people to really rah, rah me and put it out there and write about me. And that's always meant a lot. And you do fantastic coverage. And I still, to this day, when I'm covering an undercard, I'm like, gotta go to UFC.com, gotta go figure out what 
Spencer wrote, what is your first name, by the way? My first name is Edgar. Edgar. But do you go by Spencer? I go by Spencer. Yeah. Okay. All My right. entire life, I have been Spencer. I think I was like 12 when I finally figured out why I was Edgar. Like, I'm named after my maternal grandfather. May, uh -huh. may you rest in peace. No one ever called him Edgar. <laughs> like, no one ever referred to him as Edgar. His name was Edgar Gordon Levy, but no one ever called him Edgar. He was Buster. He was Papa to us and Grandpa uh -huh. to us and things like that. He was Ed maybe every once in a while yeah. to some people, but I had no clue. I was just this kid walking around saddled with Edgar that wasn't a name that was common where I grew up. There weren't any athletes that I could point to as like, I'm named, the only Edgar I knew of was Edgar Allan Poe and he yeah. wrote creepy ass poetry that when you're 10, 12 years <laughs> old, you're I like, great, I'm this guy. <laughs> awesome. Great. And then we had a... 50th anniversary celebration for my grandparents and I had to do a speech uh as well here because you're the sort of heir of the Edgars yeah, and I was like what do you mean and I was like you're named after Papa like you're named after my dad and I was like oh, oh this all makes know. sense <laughs> then is when I got into writing he has always been a he was always a creative individual made things painted you all of this thing closer to Edgar Allan Poe than you're willing to admit I decided that I needed to make sure that when I had bylines that it started with E Spencer Kite and thankfully I was able to show him my first printed byline oh, about 2 cool. weeks before he passed and that's so that cool. was pretty cool and so yeah no one calls the only time in my life that I get Edgar is when I was getting full named for being in trouble <laughs> ex-girlfriends have tried before and wanting to call me eddie and all of this stuff like nah just no only person is my mother that's it and it's only when i'm in trouble edgar gotcha. spencer kite get your ass in here <laughs> and i'm just like did something this is this is deserved so yeah but, well, I, I, I appreciate and I, I always look for uh, I always look for your name in the byline because I know it's going to be a well-written, definitely well-researched article. And I, I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you doing this. Let people know where they can check out both the thirst traps and whatever <laughs> the opposite of the thirst traps are, how they can yeah. stay up to date on all of your work, all of your travels, all of everything you are doing. Plug all the socials and then we'll let you get out of here. Yeah, I'm by far most active on Instagram. It's at Laura underscore Sanko. Um, Twitter, the same handle, but I'm not on there a ton because Twitter's Twitter's a wild place. So, you know, I like to keep my mind clean. I like to keep yes. my energy clean. We're just going to keep it with the people that are supportive. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. For yeah. Laura, I am Edgar Spencer-Kite. This has been a conversation with, we'll see you next week. <laughs>